Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, Senior Technology Editor at The Verge. And you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about tech. Because really, there are no embarrassing questions, and we want to help you answer them. It could be about phones, or laptops, or the smart home, or cloud services, or why it is that Kara keeps sending me Snapchats that late has at never night. happened, ever. Just don't know what not to do. Once, not even once. <laughs> Kara. I don't even know how to use Snapchat. Let's just talk in real life, Kara. No idea. Anyway. So send us your questions. We do read them all. Find us on Twitter, or tweet them to us at, at Recode, or to myself, or to Lauren, with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed. We also have an email address. That's TooEmbarrassed at Recode.com. Net. Don't forget the dot .net. Also, mm-hmm. reminder, Embarrassed has two R's and two S's. And while you're at it, have a listen to our previous episodes, too, which you can find on iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. In fact, Lauren and Recode's Kurt Wagner just did a bonus episode on Snap's IPO. That's right. We talked about why it is that Evan Spiegel has a million dollars a year budgeted towards his security. Oh. You know, we talked about a lot of other stuff, too. We really unpacked the S1 and uh-huh. what some of the threats are to Snapchat's business and whether or not, you know, you should invest in it, whether it looks like a good investment for people. But uh-huh. one of our guests is shaking his head right now. I'm just not going right. to say who. Uh, but are. it's a good episode, so have a listen. All right. Okay. Well, he does have nice t-shirts, Evan Spiegel. That's my, how I feel about that. That's my entire, that would have been my entire contribution to his t-shirts. Yeah. yeah. That and his... Uh, is supermodel fiance? Yeah, no, I don't want to talk about her. I like the t-shirts. Anyway, today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, we're talking about whether you, our listeners, should learn to code, which is actually important. Uh, we're delighted to have two expert guests on the show with us. Uh, Lauren, why don't you introduce them? Reshma Sajani is the founder and CEO of Girls Who Code, a nonprofit working to get more women into computer science. And Hadi Partovi is the founder and CEO of Code.org, which is trying to make coding a part of school curricula everywhere. You might have heard him last year, in fact, on Kara's podcast, Recode Decode. Reshma and Hadi, welcome to Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thank Thank you so much. Thanks Thanks for for coming. Thanks for having us. So this is an issue that's been discussed quite a bit over the last couple of years, especially during the Obama administration, because he was making a lot of pushes in this area. He learned to code himself from girls in fact, um, students. So explain the difference. Talk about your organizations. Now, both are nonprofits. So why don't you start, Hadi, and then, Arashma, you go on. Talk about the organizations themselves and what they're doing, because a lot of people are coming at this in different ways. Sure. So Code.org is focused on the K-12 education system, particularly in the United States. Uh, and we're trying to get computer science to be part of the curriculum. And we do that uh, not just by advocating and saying that it's an important deal, but actually building an entire curriculum pathway starting as early as kindergarten all the way through uh, high school. And we also train America's teachers because you know the, the issue isn't just that schools aren't teaching computer science, it's that America's teachers don't know how to teach it. Mm-hmm. And we're training about, uh, we've done already uh, workshops for 50,000 of America's teachers and we're at the point where uh, roughly one out of five students in the entire country is now already using our coding platform uh, in K-12 through schools. But it's still not required in schools, correct? It's not required, but it's being taught anyway. You know, when, when one out of five students is already engaged, that's 10 million uh, students just in the U.S. alone, and half of them are girls, half of them are black or Hispanic students. That's a major change. In, in what you're doing in Reshmo? So Girls Who Code is a, a national nonprofit um, seeking to close a gender gap in computer science and sure. tech. So we're focused on the gender aspect of it. Essentially, in the 1980s, 37% of computer science graduates were women, and today that number is less than 
Uh, we did a report recently with Accenture, and we found that the problem was actually getting worse, right? Which sounds weird, right? Because there's so much attention to computer science, but the gender problem is actually getting worse. And you know, today, 24% of the workforce is female. Uh, if we do nothing in the next 10 years, it's going to be 22%. Mm-hmm. So our intervention is to get girls to major or minor in computer science. So we're not tinkering with code. We want to produce new female software professionals. Right. The, the so-called pipeline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so we do it through after-school programs, one through summer camps. So we build classrooms in technology companies. Um, we ran 78 of those classrooms in 11 different cities and pretty much every single technology company you can think of from Adobe to Facebook to Pixar to you know Goldman Sachs, so in financial services and technology and fashion, et cetera. And then we have after-school programs. So last year we ran about... About 40,000 girls went through 1,500 clubs uh, in all 50 states. And those clubs happen in homeless shelters, in private schools, in public schools, in charter schools, in community centers, in churches, in synagogues, and mosques. And, you know, essentially there we're trying to get coding education to girls in, in, in places where you don't have them, whether that's in the Rust Belt, whether that's in Daughters of Migrant Workers, you know, whether that's in um, some urban areas. And so by the end of this year, we will have reached 100,000 girls and, again, taught them how to code. And I want to, that is an important number because only 10,000 women graduated in computer science. So in the U.S. in the from United high States. School. Yep. So like no, graduating from, 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 university. from university. From university. Right. Okay. So we, in 2018, I will have 10,000 new female computer science uh, women who are intending to declare CS as a major on college campuses. So like we're blowing, you know, hopefully the doors off, right, of really building that pipeline of talent. Talk a little bit about how you both got into this, because I think that's really interesting, too, to talk about your backgrounds. I mean, Reshma, you were a lawyer who at one point ran for Congress. Hadi, uh, you've talked a little bit about this on Kara's podcast before, but you actually started programming at a pretty young age. You're coming into it from two very different areas. Uh, You're a longtime entrepreneur. You've done a million companies and um, right. Slightly less Microsoft, iMore. Yeah. You've been in tech for a while. So talk a little bit about where you came from and how you ended up both running nonprofits. Sure. Well, my background, I, uh, you know, I started learning to code when I was 10 years old. I, I lived in Iran and, uh, you know, during the war with Iraq at the time, there was pretty much nothing good you could do as a kid. And th- that was my escape. Uh, but as an immigrant to this country, having the skills of being a great coder meant when I was you know, going through high school and my friends were getting jobs as busboys or babysitters. Uh, I was doing internships at tech companies and uh, that helped me just get on a path of what I believe is I, I'm living the American dream as an immigrant who's now been successful in tech. And these days I feel like the American dream is broken. Americans broadly feel like the idea that if you just work hard, the system will help you get somewhere doesn't feel like it's it's actually happening and people feel like the system is rigged and it's against them regardless of whether you're in an urban neighborhood or in a, in a rural district. Uh, and I believe computer science is a key, key part of that because this is a field that literally leads to the best-paying jobs in the world, the best careers. It's the largest sector of all new wages in this, in this country, and yet our schools aren't teaching it. And so for me, I wanted to give back to, to in the way that's most personal to me for the field that helped me get to where I am and to let other students follow the same kind of pathway. That's interesting because I think we have a similar passion for why we're here. I mean, I was a failed politician. Right, I've been a, an, a female activist since the time I was 13 years old. 
I came to this problem, and, and both my parents were engineers. They actually came here as refugees uh, because in the 1970s, this country was seeking engineers. And my parents were lucky to be two engineers, and so they were one, two of a 1,000 refugees who got says to come here in, in 1973. Where did they come from? Uganda. Mm-hmm. So the dictator Idi Amin right, mm-hmm. expelled all of the, of the Indians uh, from the country in 90 days. And so I was definitely one of those girls where my father would sit me at the dinner table and say, what's two plus two? And I'd be like, five. And he you know, would you know, shake his head. And, and so math and science intimidated me. Right, it terrified me, and it was something for my whole life stayed with me. Right, I, I got a B plus in chemistry in college and never took it ever again. Right, because I was searching for that four point in hopes that one day, right, Kara is going to ask me what my GPA is. <laughs> and so, I, you know, kind of woke up at age thirty three, ran for office, and part and lost. But part of that journey, I would go into schools and I would see you know, thousands of hotties, right, learning how to code. And I was like, where are the girls? Mm -hmm. And as someone who's had a job since I was 12, I helped pay my parents' mortgage, right, I knew the importance of economic empowerment. Mm -hmm. And it didn't make sense to me that women were not a part of this, right, that women of color and underserved girls were not a part of this industry where you could literally make $120,000 as a software programmer and you can change the world. Right. And so that's what inspired me to start Girls Who Code, um, was this passion for getting girls into the pipeline of 21st century jobs that could help lift their entire family. Where families jobs up. are going. And obviously yeah. jobs have, have been the most critical element of this election, away from all the other noise. It is about jobs and the future, essentially. And, and this had been pushed by the Obama administration, this idea that coding was critically important. But how much is the need to learn coding changing? If you could talk about, is it more urgent or has it fallen off the face of the earth with the Trump administration? I I haven't heard him say one word about technology that's not relatively negative. So talk a little bit about that. Like what's happened? Is there still going to be a push for it or is it, or do we need politicians to help us at all to do this? Well, I can say a number of things about this. Uh, The Trump administration, if you look at their 100 day plan, it lays out a lot of the things that they've been doing. But one of the things that's actually written in there is an investment in technology education. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, if you look at what they said about education, there's only two things. One is around school choice and vouchers and charter schools, which we've seen what they're doing at least there. And the second is investment in vocational and technology education. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually quite hopeful that uh, that the Trump administration sees the, the benefits. Uh, and it's, it's really quite obvious because the number one source of all new wages in this country are in computing jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can try to bring back manufacturing jobs or bring create new jobs, but if you want to look at the jobs that are currently open uh, and Yeah, but the first hit was at immigrants, which are, make up a lot of silicon. I mean, and obviously tech has responded, finally, um, yep. so it doesn't seem... Yep, but the broader thing I'd say is that education in this country is driven locally. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vast majority of funding and decisions in education are actually done at the state government level or even at the school district level. Mm-hmm. And at that level, there's now 31 states that are now, uh, thanks to the work we've done in our advocacy coalition, 31 states are embracing computer science in different ways. Over 20 states have changed their graduation policies. Uh, they're establishing standards. They're funding computer science. How many uh, have mandated it? I mean, you mentioned Arkansas in an earlier podcast. Arkansas example, has mandated many... that every school must teach it, mm-hmm. which is different than saying every student must take it. Uh, but Arkansas is the only state that says every school in the state must offer a computer science class. And that's the first important step and when you say that every school must teach it, you actually see enrollment go up significantly. In, in Arkansas, among black women, enrollment in computer science went up seven times. 
in Oakland. Uh, so that's seven people, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, they went from exactly. one. Yeah. Um, in Oakland, they went from only one high school teaching computer science. In two years now, every high school teaches computer science. They've seen a 14-fold increase in the number of students. And these are boys and girls and, you know, all all racial backgrounds. So do you think that, Rashma, this is going to continue? I, I am mean, less I am less hopeful. I'm less hopeful, too. I mean, I also think that part of what was incredible about what the Obama administration did was not just about, I think, pushing computer science, but who got access to those jobs. You know, they were the loudest on people of color and women, right, and the importance of really pushing companies to make investments and commitments to thinking about what that pool of talent looked like. And this administration has just demonstrated that that's not something that they care about. And in fact, has made an assault, I think, on uh, immigrants and so many of the girls that are affected in our community. I mean, I feel like I've been on the phone the past two weeks just getting legal counsel for my girls that are undocumented or my parents or my team that are affected by the ban. And so in some ways, I feel like many of the policies that are coming out of this administration are, are just destructive to girls and women and people of color. And so I think we need to watch that very carefully. And I think those of us in the community need to be very loud that even if this administration wants to work in that field, like there are certain requirements in terms of how we behave and, and deal with these communities that, that come first. And I think that that's important. Um, and we've definitely made that position very clear. I think secondly, I do think that what we're working on at Girls Who Code is while we're very excited about um, you know, computer science education and what's coming out from the states, we want to make sure that girls are included in this growth. And so, you know, we're thinking about uh, how to introduce legislation to really look and track the numbers. So if Chicago, right, is mandating computer science education at every school, well, if it's not mandatory and it's elective and those classes are still 80% boys and 20% girls, is that really affecting, right? Uh, but, but I actually would say, I mean, we've been Chicago's partner for yeah. their computer science rollout. Chicago's the, the first city to actually make it a graduation requirement for every student, which means whether you care about black girls learning to code or white girls learning to code or, or Hispanic boys learning, every single student yeah. graduating in Chicago's public school system. So Chicago's probably a bad example. New York has it, right? New York has it. Right. And, and um, I think that for many... For many states, it's it's uh, seductive, right, to not make it mandatory because it's easier to make it as an elective. And I think mm -hmm. so. We want to just make sure that we're tracking and watching those numbers because I don't think, and I think, how do you agree with me? I don't think we want to make the gender and the racial problem get worse, right? As there's this huge passion and commitment towards computer science education, I would argue that for me, I want to see curriculum drafted in the eyes of what's appealing to a 13 year old black girl from Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. right? Uh, we need to make sure that we're getting her involved and engaged, and in, in the rest of the the boys will come. How does America compare to other countries that you have examined, you know, in being in this field? How do we compare right now in terms of our education around coding? I think everyone's pretty bad. Uh, Accenture did a great, we have this as part of our report. I think uh, Ireland is actually doing very well. But most countries, even India and China and places where we think that uh, it seems as though it's better from a gender perspective, they're just as bad. And what about from a coding perspective? So the, the only countries that I think are ahead of America on, on computer science are Estonia and Vietnam, okay. which are relatively small countries. But those are the countries where they actually have every student in every school and all grade bands learning it. Uh, I would say, actually, America is leading in computer science education. And, you know, this is the country that invented the computer. We invented the Internet. We invented social media. We invented the smartphone e-commerce. Uh, and we are uh, we may not have the best education system overall, uh, but when it comes to computer science education, just the movement that started in America in the last three years has spread worldwide. Uh, and just in the last three and a half years, we've, we've now seen 11 countries announce nationwide plans 
for computer science, right. and I believe that's responding to the moves that America has it gotten making. through to the students themselves. Because I was at a really interesting Glide Church here in San Francisco, and I think it was Van Jones who was speaking to a bunch of uh, African American students, and he said it was a really striking moment. And I think only he could have really done this, but he said to the to the kids, um, "How many of you have downloaded something from the internet?" And they all were sort of like, "What this fucking idiot?" You know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, of course we have. We all do. We all download and use the internet, and and sort of they were mocking him and jeering him in a fun way kind of thing. And then he goes, yeah, but how many of you have uploaded anything to the Internet? Silence. You know, and then he said, you're all digital sharecroppers, which was electric to say. You know what I mean? And, like, you were digital sharecroppers for Facebook and Snapchat and everybody else, and you're getting no benefit from it. And I think the kids were quite struck by the concept of they thought they were in charge of their digital destiny and realized they're only being used as... Consumers. Workers, consumers mm-hmm. and workers. It was really shocking. And so do you think students have gotten that through that idea that this is critical to be uploaders, not downloaders kind of thing? I mean, I'll speak on the perspective of girls. I don't think so yet, mm-hmm. right? And I think part of what we do at Girls of Code is like right, still culturally, you know, I was, I was like at an airport in um, Yangon and I hear – and a, a, a young girl say to her mom, you know, mom, I'm playing my math game. Will you help me? And she's like, honey, you know, I don't know nothing about math. Go ask your dad. Mm-hmm. You still hear that, right? This kind of perception that boys are good at math and girls are not good and it's not cool and it's not interesting. And I think that we haven't shifted culture. It's so deeply entrenched in who we are. And I think that we need to change that. So girls don't see this as a, as a profession that is for them mm-hmm. or open to them. And I don't think that they, um, I think one of the, why from a Girls Who Code's perspective, we really teach project-based learning and computational thinking is because it's important for girls to see coding as something that's connected to the thing that they want to do to make the world a little bit better. It's interesting how there seems to be this perception around coding as sort of, um, there's a lack of creativity around right. it. You know, especially since this new administration has come in, we've heard people say, well, just think, you know, that the country's under a lot of duress right now, and so great art is going to be produced because people need an outlet. But then you look at coding, and it's almost sort of becoming fear-driven in a sense. Like, well, the economy's going to change, and a robot's going to take over your job, so you should learn to code. And that doesn't seem like the right kind Kind of motivation what do you for think, I, I completely agree. I mean, our, I very much agree with Reshma about the curriculum being more project-based and, and and sort of tapping into creativity. And all of our courses basically are built around that. So when I learned to code, you know, I my problem sets were things like writing the code to calculate the Fibonacci sequence in math, which oh nobody God. gives a shit about. Like, no, what is the Fibonacci sequence? But go ahead. Um, <laughs> Whereas no, in our classrooms, kids make apps, they make right. drawings, things, they make beautiful yeah. things that they want to share. And then that taps into their passion, whether right. it's whether you care about climate change or whether you care about animal safety or whether you want to make a computer game to, to show off, whatever it is, it taps into the creativity. Um, and by the way, I also disagree a little bit with the sort of doom and gloom mindset about the problem in that there, this area for sure has a gender problem and a, also a racial diversity problem. But I think this is a problem that's getting better. It's not getting worse. Right. And uh, in, within the tech industry, it's not yet getting better. If you look at what's happening K-12, through it's gotten dramatically better. And then, last question before we get to our reader questions. Um, the Senate confirmed Donald Trump's education secretary by hair, Betsy DeVos of the Grizzly Bears. Um, how does the confirmation in this new administration affect your efforts? She seems to not know a whole lot about much. From our perspective, the majority of our work is local. Is local and, you know, our, for our work... We have 500,000 classrooms teaching coding. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's 8 million girls in our classrooms. For me, whether whoever the education secretary is, isn't going to change what those teachers are doing. And the strength of code.org comes from the teachers that are basically doing this. We've, we've doubled in size in just the last 12 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that, and that 
So Whatever local. the federal government does doesn't make local. it. Yeah, I mean, we're focused on after-school programs. We've never gotten a dollar from the federal government or from states, and we've done it all essentially on, on our own. And so, you know, I, I don't think that our work will – I don't think that this affects our work. But I do want to be – I want to point to what Hadi said. I think it's very dangerous to assume that the problem is getting better when the evidence shows that it's not. Uh-huh. If you look at the AP computer science numbers in terms of girls, if you look at what we're seeing in our pool, we have a lot of work to do. But, and but, so the, AP, I, but the AP computer science numbers, four girls have gotten better three years in a row But now. if the pool of boys is getting larger... No, no, the, the percentage that are female has increased. But barely. Like, not as much as one would expect, given the fact that you've taught eight, 8 million girls, you said? Yeah. Right? In, that, in, in the work that we've done. I, I just think that it's important for the technology companies... Because I don't think that that's happening in the movement yet. I think that there's, a, there's not as big of a commitment to both teaching and hiring these girls once they get on. And I think we just need to watch it. But I don't that, think, we can, de- I I don't think we can declare, from my perspective, I don't mm-hmm. think we can declare success mm-hmm. unless we really say three years from now, five years from now, for many of our girls right, have now gotten into college, are now hireable for a technical internship at Facebook or at Google, mm-hmm. and whether that's really happening. Because in five years, through both of our organizations, we will have put enough girls into the pipeline because the problem is so, so shitty, yeah. right, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that the numbers should look different. Right. And if they're, so I just, I like, I, my, part of my doom and gloom, we mm-hmm. have more work to do attitude is because I need to put pressure. Numbers on the board. Yes. Yeah, but no, I, I completely board. agree that what happens after K through 12 needs a lot of work, uh, and we don't spend time on that. But the tech companies, for sure, have issues that they need to address. What's happening in K through 12? The percentage of women, not just the sheer number, but if you look at the balance of uh, uh, in a classroom, how many are boys, how many are girls? It's shifting towards women. It's not going in the wrong direction. So we have and, and the AP computer science. We have science them in exam. the pipeline. We just got to shut yeah, them the, through. In the last year, the, the number metaphor. of boys taking AP computer science grew 23 percent. The number of girls grew 35 percent. Yeah. So it's much faster growth. All right. It's still small numbers, but it's it's heading right, in the right, right direction. Right. It's more than zero. It's more than zero. It's non-zero. It's non-zero. Okay, we've got a lot of questions about learning to code from our readers and listeners, and we're going to answer those in a minute. But first, we're going to take a quick break as Lauren reads a word from our sponsor. And I have to say ka-ching again? You have to say ka-ching. Ka-ching. Yeah. I wish, uh, actually, you should just do like a... Like you're coding. Oh, okay. Today's show is brought to you by HostGator. If you're ready to take your website to the next level, whether you're a first-time blogger or an experienced web pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. Uh, There's also a filter that identifies fake news on your great-looking website. Just kidding. It doesn't have that. But if you ever need a boost in hosting power, HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Right now, Recode listeners get 60% off. Just go to HostGator.com slash Recode. That's HostGator.com slash Recode to get your 60% off. All right, then. Cha-ching. All right, we have a lot of questions in a lot of areas. So when we answer these, let's do quick answers and try to get them the quick ones for it, and either of you can take them. So if you've been listening to the show, you know how it works. Every week we take tech questions from our readers and listeners. We try to answer everything we can. You send them in, by the way, by tweeting to us at hashtag too embarrassed, or you can email too embarrassed at recode.net. This week we're answering questions about learning to code, and the first area we're going to start on is getting started. Getting started. We had a lot of questions from people just about the basics. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks to G33KTalk, Dan Wyman, Victor Pack, and Creighton D. Simone on Twitter, who asked things like, where do you start? What language to learn first? 
Are online schools like Code Academy a viable resource? That, see, there's so much like Swift, CSS, HTML, or whatever. What's the easiest way? Mm -hmm. And finally, I feel like I'm too old to learn to code. Is there a good tool for people over 30? 30. 30. Which is, I mean, <laughs> we all use Snapchat. I don't know. <laughs> Some people would say don't use right. it if you're over 30. Let's but start. Uh, Hadi, why don't you start and then Rashma? I would start at code.org. You know, our courses have been used by 100 million people, mm -hmm. uh, and they are ages ranging from four years old to 100 years old. All right. uh, and the courses include lectures from Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates, uh, teaching you the basic concepts. Uh, but we don't actually start you with a language. We teach the concepts first rather than the syntax of a particular language. If I was to recommend one language to learn, I would suggest JavaScript because you could do the most different things with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's also a fallacy to think about this as which is the one language I should learn. Whatever language you can learn, once you get good at it, you can switch languages in about four weeks. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the concepts that are the important hmm, thing concepts. to learn. Concepts. All right, so code.org, where else besides you? Um, well, code.org has our own courses, but we also actually have a directory of all the other courses that we recommend. Uh, and if you look at our directory, we recommend uh, Khan Academy for JavaScript is, is a great resource. If you want to learn college-level coding, uh, you can go to Coursera or Udacity to take you know, Harvard's CS50 class. Uh, but I think jumping into the college level skips sort of the ABCs and one, two, threes. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but if you get to go to code.org, we actually have, if you're college level, do this. If you want to learn JavaScript, do this. We actually directoryize it by language you want to learn as well. All right. So similarly, we teach computational thinking and, and project-based learning. So if you have a girl and she is from zero to nine, uh, I would encourage you to go on Amazon.com. We have Girls Who Code has 14 books that were coming out. We basically have like a mini imprint at Penguin, board books, coloring books, and then we have a graphic novel that's coming out for girls ages 9 to 12 that tells you, not, teaches you not only how to code, but to, uh, like educates you about the amazing women that have been pioneers in this space. I also encourage you to buy Little Bits and Goldie Blocks. I think that those are great, great toys. Um, and these are physical girls. toys. They're physical mm -hmm. toys that help you kind of tinker and play. And then I also, we also encourage people to go to, uh, you know, Khan Academy as you get. And, and I think it's important, like, if you're a parent and you yourself don't know how to, how to code, it's hard for you to tell your kid to code. And I think right. Khan Academy has a great kind of interactive platform where you can watch a video and learn how to code and do it all at once. And I think it's really great from and a user-based perspective. What, what if you're in a language? Oh, and then Girls Who Code Club, sorry. You can go on girlswhocode.com and find a Girls Who Code Club uh, in, in a community near you. And what about a language? I mean, I we still tell girls, I mean, if you think about them at very young, just start with scratch, right? Drag and drop is super mm -hmm. easy, right? Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it's fun and it's interesting. And then move up to HTML and Java. But again... And scratch is visual. Yeah. So the difference between something, let's say, JavaScript, which is text-based, and scratch is, as you said, someone's going to be moving these kind of digital blocks around, which might be more, I don't know, kind of user-friendly to totally. start. And I think, it's, especially when you're starting off, it's that euphoric feeling of like getting it right. Like you can start to create something or make you know make an engine move or make a car move and you do it and you're like oh I, I learned how to code right mm -hmm. it feels good right especially I think if you're young what did they teach Obama when they did that what was he learning well we did it on code studio um, which is our platform and we can do either drag and drop or JavaScript and he did a little bit of both he did both uh, all right but again with this old thing was he too old to learn to code he was definitely not too old right. are you gonna try to teach Donald Trump to code has, has the White House reached out to you about that uh, they haven't reached out about that um, but, you know, God. teaching, helping set it up for President Obama was one of the special moments of my life. Right. Uh, and the girl who actually taught him was an eighth grader who she had just, I had basically coached her literally 20 minutes beforehand. So she was mm -hmm. learning alongside him. It was kind of cool because it wasn't, oh, the super smarty pants eighth, eighth grader. It was this girl from Newark who had never herself mm -hmm. uh, learned coding. And she basically got a 20-minute, you know, 
quick course from me and then had to go teach the president, uh -huh. which is kind of cool. No pressure there. But do you, is there an age thing or should there be? I mean, you're talking about young girls, but is there, a, there's also a pipeline of older women or? In so in the study that we did, we found that 58% of women that were in technology actually didn't major in computer science in college. So it's never too late. Right? These are women, a lot of them, who started learning how to code after, like when they were in their mid-20s. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, as I've traveled the country, you know, we visit tech incubators all the time where women are kind of going into their second, you know, second or third act in their career and mm -hmm. learning, you know, how to be software programmers or how to work at, you know, startup com companies and learning a completely different skill set. So I think it's never too late. Never too late. All right. It's never too late. So get on the Donald Trump thing there. Get to teach him to code. Right. Do you or think no. that'll happen? Yeah. It's hard to speculate. <laughs> All right, okay. Yeah, maybe, get, no. get, maybe get him off his insecure Android phone, too. Yeah, exactly. He knows how to tweet. Yeah. Um, so all is not lost. Um, all right, job prospects. Uh, Lauren, why don't you go over those? This is another area that people were super interested in. Yes, we got an email from Eric Wise who said, I am still in college and recently changed majors from computer science to communications, focusing on journalism. Uh, should I still learn to code? Hashtag too embarrassed. What would you say to Eric? I would say no matter what field you're going into, it's important to understand how computers work and how software works. Uh, it's for sure a great backup thing to have. I mean, if you even if you get a job as a journalist, you can make an app on the side and sell it in the app stores and and make uh, money doing that. Or if you're going to write about technology, it's you'll you'll be a better journalist if you understand this stuff. Agreed. Whether you want to become an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, a, you know, a politician, you know. You wouldn't not study biology because you're going to become a, a lawyer. You still learn uh, the basics of, about everything. And learning computer science and coding is about as foundational a skill you can learn in the 21st century. All right, next question. Job prospects for code booting camp graduates, lifestyle hours of a coder. This is from Doug Lamont. So is the question, is that a, a good thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he's is asking it, about uh, job prospects. Job prospects. But then he's question. also asking what the what your lifestyle is like yeah. once you become a coder. I think there's this uh, idea that you, you stay know, up the on stereotype. That. Yeah, you're well, eating I mean, ramen noodles and sleeping under your desk. Right. I mean, there's 500,000 open jobs right now in computing and tech. And most of those jobs, right, they're not in Silicon Valley or New York City. They're like in, you know, Nevada and Delaware and Omaha. So I think that there's a huge, huge need in the economy for these jobs. Um, and I think as automation gets even more and more pr prevalent, right, you're, we're going to need to learn how to code. Everybody does. Um, and so I think that some of those coding boot camps I've seen have been pretty effective, right, especially in middle parts of the country, right, in, in transferring, having people learn a new skill set that they need. I think the hours are, are great, right? There's definitely much more flexibility. I think a lot of women that we have, you know, as part of our either teachers or our mentor base at Girls Who Code feel like, you know, working in technology gives them some of the flexibility that they need to have, as they're kind of, you know, raising Child families care, yeah. and, you know, all of that. I mean, I, I know for me, you know, I'm just I'm just running a computer, I mean, a, a, a nonprofit that's teaching computer science, and I have a two-year-old, but he's on my, you know, on my shoulder all the time, right? And, and I think that having that type of flexibility for women is really important. There's a lot of stereotypes in this field, and one of the stereotypes for sure is about, you know, a teenage white boy in a dark basement with an energy drink and a Star Trek poster and so mm -hmm. on, and that's, that's basically what coding is like. The other thing I'd say is in terms of the job prospects, these jobs are everywhere. In Detroit, there's more jobs for software engineers than there are in manufacturing, mm -hmm. in the auto industry. And it's also not just software jobs. So becoming a database administrator at a bank or a cybersecurity expert at a retailer, you know, in, in every sector, uh, there's opportunity in computing in general. Right, right. So the next one, Lauren? 
Sure. So Raphael Tehani asked uh, if it's worth learning to code if you won't become a programmer, which I think we already answered um, from Eric Wise's question. But Claire Sayas had a question. She said, what a great topic. Thanks, Claire, and thanks for listening. Personally, I'm curious, what is more critical, learning to code or getting good at data science? Yeah, that's a really good question, for, uh, Claire. Um, so, you know, our organization is called Code.org, but we're about computer science broadly, which is around data science, learning to code, cybersecurity, how the internet works. These are all different branches of one sort of core field. And it's actually hard to do data science without learning to code. Uh, you know, as soon as you get into data science, whatever tool you use, whether it's SQL, whether it's R, all the tools in data science, or even if it's just Excel, you're going to le- learn to do coding. If you, if you use Excel, the moment you type an equal sign and start typing a formula, you're basically coding. It's just you're coding in the Excel language rather than JavaScript. So it's not really intimidating when you think about that when you type an equal sign in Excel. Uh, but data science for sure is going to be one of the most hotly needed fields in every single type of company. So coding is foundational to fields like data science, Absolutely. machine learning, um, they're all fancy. AI, of math. all of AI. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it, can't do any of them without a foundational right. basis. And, and I think that changing the pedagogy of how you teach and teaching to uh, computational thinking rather than regurgitating languages is going to lead to, I think, a reduction in the attrition rate of, of women, right? Because it becomes more relevant to them, and they feel that as languages are are changing, they can be just as adaptive. Absolutely. All right. The next area is the future. All right, there's a lot of questions in this area, and then we'll have some commentary, which is somewhat interesting. Um, The first one is from DJ Anderson. What can learning to code teach about other seemingly non-related disciplines? You talked about this a little bit. I think that so much of, like, learning to code is about learning how to fail, right? And I think especially from um, a gender perspective, like, we are kind of raised to be a little risk-averse, right, to, like, to kind of pursue perfection over kind of challenge, and I think so much of what I've seen in, in teaching our girls to code is like, you know, the semicolon can just be in the wrong place. And like, once you get it right, you're like, ah, I did it. And it, it gets you comfortable with imperfection and failure. And I think that that has been key for building confidence. You know, so much of what we do at Girls Who Code is about those soft skills, right? It's about confidence building. And I've seen that being translated into different industries. And so I think the unique thing about teaching girls to code is like, they want to change the world, right? So maybe their maybe their brother's dyslexic, or their mother's obese, or they went to Nigeria and they saw that women don't have access to water, or their father's dying of cancer. You know, they're able to apply their coding skills to building technical solutions to solve the problems that they see in the world. And I think that that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. It's not just about getting a job in tech, right? It's about learning how to problem solve so you can see a pro- you can solve a problem that you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. That's a very good I, point. I completely agree. There's a researcher, Angela Duckworth, uh, who talks about the importance of grit in education. Grit. Yes. Uh, and we're actually doing Everyone a study Silicon with her. Valley loves that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're doing a study with her at code.org to show does learning to code actually deliver increases in student grit, which mm-hmm. is basically the type of confidence and perseverance we talked about. In terms of... Uh, Are you gritty, Lauren? I don't know. Do you think I'm gritty? No, no, no. I only took half of a coding course at I one need point. You to be grittier. She's okay. half gritty. She's half gritty. I'm, I, total, I don't I'm know. all grit. I think I'm pretty gritty, but yeah. all right, all right. Don't, grit. don't test me, Kara. All right, I'm seeing that. All right, but next. I'll add something I want to say about mm-hmm. DJ's question yeah. in terms of relation to other fields. Mm-hmm. In Stanford, if you look at the description of computer science in the in the Stanford course book, they don't say this is the course to take for becoming a software engineer. They say a degree in computer science will prepare you for a career in law, business politics or academia, meaning whether you want to become a politician, a business Mm -hmm. owner, a professor, 
it's relevant. All right. And next okay. question. Right. Next question is from Mantis Lukosevich. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. Lukosevius. Sorry about that <laughs> if I butchered your name. Will coding become obsolete when AI will take over and do all of the coding for us? Uh, it's good. But this is a very meta question. It is. Super meta. I get asked that all the time. And? It's, What's um, the point? What's I, the point, I think Hottie? coding will be the last profession to become obsolete. I, I think software engineering. I think ballet dancing will, but all right. That could be. Um, but I think almost all professions are, you know, under a, a lot of professions are under siege yeah, being automated, automated, basically. Right. And the people doing the automating are the ones who are going to be the last ones to get automated. Oh, so they're just putting everyone else out of their job and First, they will be put out of a job. Right. How think, ironic. It feels I mean, like a movie almost. I think Obama had that powerful statement in his farewell address, right? Which was essential. And we see it in our, with, in our program. You know, we have a club that is right next to a Chrysler plant. And many of those girls' parents have lost their jobs through automation. But now those girls are learning how to code. And the, their father knows that, like, I have to teach my, girl, my daughters how to program the very computers that I lost my job to. Right. And it's happening all across the country. Interesting. It's going to be an interesting time in the next 10 to 15 years. We also had some interesting commentary, not necessarily questions, but Eric Dular said, it's job dependent. If you need to run databases, that's a different skill than making a good UI or website. Patricia on Twitter said, more crucial is a little humanities training. Can't code ourselves out of this political disaster wherein it takes (laughs) critical thinking skills. And Jeffrey Colon agreed with her. He said, humanities and liberal arts more important than ever. STEAM, not just STEM. So let's talk a little bit about that I yeah. mean, we've Let's talked entirely about coding but obviously um humanities education is still just as important as ever in this country are the two intertwined i mean they're absolutely intertwined i mean i think that part of what they're missing what we're talking about is the feeling like there's a lack of compassion right in the world right now and that in in some ways maybe computer science feels like it is that lack of compassion, right? And I think it's, again, I think Girls Who Code is a living, breathing example of how those two things are together. I mean, every, you know, everything I see in every single city, I see girls, right, who are, you know, building a machine learning tool to help track where Zika is going, or Lucy and Maya who are building an app on lead poisoning because they're 11 years old and they saw that kids were dying in Flint, Michigan, you know, or a group of girls who built an app to help Black Lives Matter protesters. I mean, it is the compassion that we see in our girls and how that they're using technology to help make that compassion and that need for humanity real. And so I think it, it matters how we teach it and what we're putting into the classroom and the examples that we're putting in. So like, for example, at Girls Who Code Clubs, we have three tracks when you go to a club. You can solve a problem that's about, you know, whatever the, the very issue that you care about. Maybe it's about water access or climate change or human trafficking, right? You can learn how to code to solve that very problem. So it's incumbent upon us as, you know, people who are trying to get computer science education in every classroom to think about how are we teaching it. Absolutely. I mean, just learning to code isn't it's learning not ethics. Right. It's not yeah. if someone says to you, build this database or give the drivers access to this passenger information, right? Do these little tweaks that all of a sudden make all of the data available to, you know, malevolent people. You know, you need to know when to say this is right and this is wrong. I mean, you can't, that's not just something you're going to learn from like looking at a computer screen and learning how to program Carol the robot, right? Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I completely agree in terms of the how you teach. Uh, Steve Jobs. 20 years ago said computer science is a liberal art. And what he meant by that isn't that learning the sort of syntax of semicolons and parentheses is a liberal art. It's learning how to think and learning how to apply that to solve the problems of the world is just as important as other humanities or other liberal arts. Uh, And I think people often respond about this saying you need to do 
you know, what about the humanities too? And there's two misconceptions there. One is the idea that somebody thinks learning to code is more important than the humanities. The reason at code.org we pitch it is because every school in America teaches English, every school in America teaches history, but the majority of them don't even offer a single course in computer science. We just want it to also be available in addition to the humanities, and we're changing how it's being taught, as Reshma suggested, to make it be taught with compassion, with projects in mind, rather than just calculating the Fibonacci sequence. Right. But it got you here. So, Hadi, don't, don't insult that. All right. Yeah. Um, okay, very last question. So you're hopeful that this will happen? It will be mandated across the country? Do you feel that that's ever going to happen, like the way English and history is, each of you? I don't know if it's going to be mandated. I mean, I think that's up to individual states or school districts to decide, but I believe we're five years away from having every single school in the country teaching computer science. Uh, we went from 10% to 20% in just our classrooms. Uh, 10% of students last year were using Code.org's classrooms and courses. It's now 20% in just one year. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I'm, finish it up. I'm hopeful. I, I will say that I think that this past election has awakened women in a way that we've never been awake before. Mm-hmm. And I think that more so than ever before, I think the gender argument in terms of making sure that as we are getting computer science in every classroom, those classrooms reflect the diversity that we want to see mm-hmm. is going to happen because... We're going to fight for it. Yeah, absolutely. Kara, do you want to learn how to code? Do you want to I do. I keep almost doing it. I have one of those scratch book boards because I'm a friggin' idiot. I'll I'm send sorry. you a girl's a code book. I think I have it. I'm sure I have. You know, it's funny because you were saying, you know, one parent said to the other, I don't know, ask your dad. But actually, in our case, they just asked Megan, and she, in fact, does know how to code and everything else. So it's kind of easy. But I think about it a lot. I do think about doing it, and then I want to go to sleep. Why don't we say we're going to both try to take some online courses, and we'll reconvene in six months, and we'll see how much we've learned. You know, I actually want to take Latin. Oh, really? Yeah. You know that people don't speak that. I know that. I'm just, I want to take Latin right now. I don't know why. You should just start tweeting at the president (laughs) in Latin. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I'll just still call him grifter in chief and stick with that for right now. Anyway, sorry. Oops. I just injected some political discourse into this lovely discussion about coding. Thank you so much for coming. This has been another great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Uh, Rushman Hadi, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. It's been great having you on. And if you all enjoyed the episode as much as we did, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Too Embarrassed to Ask. But seriously, subscribe. If you do, you'll be the first person to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask. And if you're not on iTunes, you can also subscribe on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or you can just go to the website. Go to recode.net slash podcast and you can find all of our lovely podcasts there. They're lovely. And while you're there, you should check out our other lovely podcasts like Recode Decode, Recode Replay, and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Maybe lovely wasn't the right word. Lovely. They're lovely. Maybe like fascinating. They're Superb. They're controversial. Uh, mm. The Verge also has some controversial podcasts Necessary. for your listening pleasure. Walt Mossberg and Neil I. Patel host Control Walt Delete, which I'm still convinced is the best podcast name ever. Neil I. also hosts The Vergecast. And don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag Too Embarrassed or email them to us at tooembarrassed at recode.net. Thank you for listening and thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show. We'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask, so tune in then.